episode 3 of Captain's Log, Son of God, Son of Man. Let me begin by saying I hope you had a wonderful Advent season and a Merry Christmas. Christmas, as we typically celebrate it, has come and gone, but contemplating and delighting in the glorious nature of Christ certainly has not passed us by. Theology is certainly not seasonal, and so even though Christmas has passed, I thought this episode would be an excellent way to continue meditation on the incarnation of Christ. We will begin by engaging with John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1, and then work through some of the theological implications. I've always found it helpful to keep John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1 together as we contemplate the incarnation of Christ, the eternality of Christ, and His work in creation. We'll begin with John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and verse 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Drawing on the language of Genesis to kickstart the high Christology of this gospel, the Gospel of John, there are several themes that emerge and that we'll see come up again in the other passages. We see the eternality of the Son. We see the work of the Son in creation. And, of course, we see very clearly the Incarnation. Let's take a look now at Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, which says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so in this passage as well, we again see the work of the Son in creation, the eternality of the Son, his full divinity on display, And we see Christ's being torn apart as that which holds all things together, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now let's take a look at Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 13. And it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, 
He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And here in this passage again, we see these key themes emerge. In this passage, as well as in the entirety of the book of Hebrews, we see the supremacy of the Son of God. We see, again, the eternality of the Son. We see the work of the Son in creation. And we clearly see the deity of the Son as well. And these themes point us to the glorious reality of the eternal Son, fully God and fully man, who is superior to all of creation and who fashioned creation. That led me to really want to share a poem that I've always rather liked, even from the first time I heard it. And it was actually turned into a song by Phil Keggy several years back, uh, but the original author was F.W. Pitt, and it's called The Maker of the Universe. I think it does a good job at engaging the imagination in a way that brings together the humanity of Christ and the divinity of Christ, fully God, fully man, and yet it also embraces the, the glorious majesty of the Incarnation. And so I thought I would share it on this episode. The Maker of the Universe The Maker of the Universe, as man for man, was made a curse. The claims of law which he had made, unto the uttermost he paid. His holy fingers made the bow, which grew the thorns that crowned his brow. The nails that pierced his hands were mined, in secret places he designed. He made the forest whence there sprung the tree on which his body hung. He died upon a cross of wood, yet made the hill on which it stood. The sky that darkened o'er his head, by him above the earth was spread. The sun that hid from him its face, by his decree was hung in space. The spear which spilled his precious blood was tempered in the fires of God. The grave in which his form was laid was hewn in rocks his hands had made. The throne in which he now appears was his from everlasting years. But a new glory crowns his brow, and every knee to him shall bow. Well, we certainly don't have time to take a look at all of the controversies that have arisen out of the debates regarding the nature of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the divinity of Christ, the eternality of Christ, the substance of Christ. Certainly church history is replete with its share of controversies, and, and even in the modern church era we see really recapitulations of many of those ancient heresies in regards to the person of Christ. But I thought it would be helpful to take a look at uh, some of the confessions and what they had to state 
about the nature of Christ, understanding that uh, these confessions really were statements made largely in a historical and theological context of controversy as the church began to formulate clearly what it believed and what scripture taught, and in this case, in specific relationship to the nature of Christ. Begin with the Augsburg Confession, uh, going back to 1530, and it says this, Also, they teach that the Word, that is, the Son of God, did assume the human nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, so that there are two natures, the divine and the human, inseparably enjoined in one person, one Christ, true God, and true man, who is born of the Virgin Mary, truly suffered, was crucified, dead, and buried, that he might reconcile the Father unto us and be a sacrifice, not only for original guilt, but also for all actual sins of men. I also wanted to read from Article 6 of the Scottish Confession of the Faith, which for the Scottish Reformed Church uh, served as a precursor to the Westminster Confession. And this is on the incarnation of Christ. And it says this, When the fullness of time came, God sent his Son, his eternal wisdom, the substance of his own glory, into the world, who took the nature of manhood, of the substance of a woman, to wit, of a virgin, and that by the operation of the Holy Ghost, and so was born the just seed of David, the angel of the great counsel of God, the very Messiah promised, whom we acknowledge and confess, Manuel, very God and very man, two perfect natures united and joined in one person, by which our confession we condemn the damnable and pestilent heresies of Arius, Martian, Eutychus, Nestorius, and such others, as either did deny the eternity of his Godhead, or the verity of his human nature, or confounded them, or yet divided them. And so there you see a reference to several of the heresies and the controversies that swirled around the teaching of the nature of Christ. And so what we see from the various passages that we've covered, from John 1, from Colossians 1, and from Hebrews 1, and wow, many, many other passages as well, is what we would refer to now as the hypostatic union. And that simply defined as the joining of the two natures, divine and human, in the one person of Jesus. And so it is that glorious mystery that we are excited about. What a profound and glorious mystery it is. And so the title of today's episode, Son of God, Son of Man, must be understood in light of all this. Jesus Christ is not one or the other. He is not one then the other. One does not exclusively refer to his divinity, while the other exclusively refers to his humanity. Each, both Son of God and Son of Man, points to the God-man, fully divine and fully human. Yes, Christmas can be a wonderful time to think on these things, but they are sufficiently deep and profound enough for continued meditation. And I hope you'll do just that. We've reached the point of the episode now where we want to shift gears and uh, engage a little bit with the nerdy side of what Calvinist Picard represents. And so this is our shout-out segment. 
On Twitter, uh, several weeks back, I posted a poll, and it simply stated this, if your Christmas wish were granted, which ship would be yours? Reply for options not listed. The options given were the Enterprise D, the Enterprise E, Voyager, or Defiant. And the winner was the Enterprise E at 39%. We also had some other comments come in, and so I did want to uh, give shout-outs to those who replied on the thread. Andrew Giles commented, The Prometheus. Theonomist Odo replied, Sorry, according to Starfleet regulation, RPW, Christmas is not an acceptable form of worship. At T.A. Collin commented, The Enterprise A, you can't beat a classic. Dave Seep replied, Gotta be the defiant for that punch-you-in-the-face attitude. At Sean TCO commented, The Enterprise D is visually appealing, but the E is sleek and fancy and functional. Armenian Zorro replied, The Rio Grande runabout from DS9. I'm an introvert, so don't want a whole lot of people around. Calvinist Kong commented, I ultimately went with the Enterprise D because of how darn pretty it is. And at Stringent S said, Defiant, just because it broke the mold of how Federation ships looked. Thanks for taking the time to interact with me on Twitter, and uh, we'll continue to include these shout-out segments on further podcasts. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CalvinistPicard. Check out CalvinistPicard.com and connect on the first contact page as well as read the captain's blog. A brand new post called Evangelical Empires was just published, and I'd really appreciate your feedback on that particular blog. Your feedback, your comments, and your suggestions are always welcome either on the website, on Twitter, or direct email at calvinistpicard at gmail.com. Be sure to listen next month when we will introduce a series on biblical lament. Until then, live long and prosper in the new year. But that is meant in the Vulcan sense, not the prosperity gospel sense.